On Wednesday, Oklahoma released their depth chart for their week one game against UTEP with a special selection show-like program on Sooner Sports TV. Much of the talk in the aftermath centered on the inclusion of two true freshmen in the starting lineup on Saturday afternoon to go along with 10 members of hashtag Sooner Squad 17 that were also included on the two deep. However, my attention gravitated towards the secondary where there actually weren't many surprises in the starting lineup. Over the course of the spring and throughout fall camp, it became increasingly clear that sophomore cornerback Parnell Motley would supplant fellow sophomore Jordan Parker as the starter opposite veteran Jordan Thomas. Motley was the star of the spring, drawing rave reviews from the staff as well as fellow players. His, perfor- his performance in the spring game only supported what everyone around the program had been saying, that Parnell Motley is a potential stud. As fall camp trudged on, it became more clear that Motley was going to be the guy opposite Thomas. Parsing the words from the team and the coaching staff, Motley started to evolve from a guy with an opportunity to start to a virtual lock. The release of the depth chart on Wednesday only confirmed what had started to look like a sure thing. I don't believe I can overstate the significance of what Motley's emergence can bring to the Sooners' defense. It can be argued that the absence of a viable second corner is what kept OU out of the college football playoff last season. Seeing Greg Ward and JT Barrett harass one side of the field, completely ignoring Jordan Thomas, became a frustrating sight for all of Sooner Nation. It appears that the Sooners' defense will not have to worry about that this season. If the talk around Parnell Motley, or DC Island as his teammates have begun calling him, comes to fruition, then the Sooners may have their next great cornerback, and a defense that could potentially surprise everyone around the country. This is West of Everest. Perkins, 45, 40, 30, 15, touchdown, Oklahoma, 50 yards on the return. Former Sooners great Antonio Perkins welcomes us into this week one version of West of Everest. That was from September the 14th, 2002, when then second-ranked OU blew out UTEP 68 to nothing in Norman. And, well, there's no secret why we used a play from that game to begin the show today, because tomorrow afternoon the Sooners open the season against UTEP in Norman. Hey, Grant, how's it going? Oh, it's going. We made it. The uh, the long, the long winter is over. The the season is back. I could not be more excited. I've I've just been sitting around twiddling my thumbs all summer and springly. And it's I well, I've been doing a little bit more than that. Hopefully, you have as well. But yes, our long national nightmare is over. College football and football is back. Uh, just a quick reminder to everybody. Episode one came out on Monday. It's our season preview for OU football. We have tons of predictions in there. If you don't know anything about OU football or know a lot about OU football, listening to that podcast will make you smarter when it comes to this team, frankly. And it's now available on iTunes. So if you like to download podcasts on your iPhone, you can easily access it the West of Everest podcast it is on iTunes. You go ahead and subscribe to it and leave us a review if you are so inclined. So it is almost game time. Lincoln Riley had his first game week presser on Monday. He did not release a depth chart at that point, but then on Wednesday, as you alluded to, Grant, in the opening take, the Sooners announced that depth chart on Soonersports.tv. I got to say, I've never seen 
so much pomp and circumstance surrounding a depth chart reveal. And I actually saw, um, you know, the notifications for it, uh, all of the, the, you know, the announcements for it. And I thought it was kind of silly at first, but of course I was watching it. Of course I watched it. And I actually thought it was low-key brilliant because it worked really well. Um, I was, I was kind of hanging on, you know, to the edge of my seat the entire time. I was legit. I, I thought it was legitimately suspenseful, and so I guess shame on me because I thought it was stupid. But then, of course, I watched every second of it, and I was literally just compelled. I was compelled the entire time. Yeah, I was watching it as well. A lot of it was obviously for informational purposes, but also just for my job. I was taking notes on okay, who are they going to put at running back? And and you and I both assumed that we'd see some oars next to that running back position, which we saw a couple of them which we will talk about here in a moment. But yeah, I, it was surprising to see a couple names on that list, uh, and it was good uh, web television, if you will. So we are going to talk a little bit about the depth chart, and then we'll jump right into the UTEP game. Grant and I will talk about what we will be watching for tomorrow, which in turn is what you should be watching for in Lincoln Riley's first game as the head coach. And trust me, once you're done listening to this podcast, you will be the most informed person at your tailgate. So first up, the depth chart, and we knew this on Monday because Riley announced it. Kyler Murray is the backup quarterback. Austin Kendall is going to redshirt this year. Grant, you and I talked about that backup QB battle throughout camp. I went on the record as saying that I didn't think it really mattered a whole lot because neither one of the backup quarterbacks are as good as Baker Mayfield. And all that matters to me is winning a national championship at OU, which can only be done with Mayfield behind center, in my opinion. Further, I also said that if Kyler Murray did not win the job, that I would be shocked. So Murray did win the job, so I am not shocked. What are your thoughts on this situation? I think it's just, you know, what was expected. Um, Austin Kendall, I thought, looked really good last year as a true freshman, uh, being the backup. At least, you know, he looked really good for a true freshman. Um, I, we, we all knew Kyler Murray coming in. We know he's a dynamic athlete. Uh, he had some success at Texas A&M. Not a whole lot his true freshman season, but he did flash some potential. Uh, he's one of the most decorated high school football players in the history of the state of Texas, I think. Did he win three state championships, Lee? Never lost a game? He was four. He, he won he four. All he won four years. I, okay, I believe it was all four years as a freshman you started. I should know okay. that, but he never lost a game, high school football. Uh, I guess there's, there's a possibility he didn't start as a freshman. I, I'm pretty sure he did. I'm, and so I, we just knew he was a five-star guy out of Rivals. Uh, he's a dynamic athlete. Um, I just figured as soon as he came in that he, he would most likely be that backup guy to Baker. Um, I, I'm i excited to watch him play. I think we're going to see him a little bit this year. I think he's a perfect fit for Riley's offense, just with what he can do with his legs. Um, he's flashed uh, some arm talent, especially in the spring, so we know he can kind of sling it. Um, but he's just he's such a jitterbug back there and such a dynamic athlete. I'm really excited to see you know, when he gets on the field. Hopefully he gets on the field a lot this year because that would mean – one, well, hopefully it's it's not because of an injury situation, but if he gets on the field a lot, I would hope that means that they're 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 ahead quite a bit in some games. And I just kind of want to see what he has to do because I feel like he's he's probably going to be the starter for the next two years after Baker leaves. You were correct. It was three state championships in a row. So it wasn't four. He finished his career as uh, a starting quarterback, 42-0 and at Allen High School, which is the highest level of Texas high school football. Is 42-0, and is that good? No, no, it's not. Yeah, not uh, he was an overrated five star. Uh, no, it's absolutely good. It's but anyways, uh, back to the Oklahoma depth chart. We talked about it 
a bit ago, the running back situation, I think, was the biggest question mark coming into that depth chart reveal. And what we saw was a couple of ors, Abdul Adams or Rodney Anderson or Marcellius Sutton. Those are the three players that you and I believe will get the lion's share of the carries this year. So were you surprised to see those ors next to those names? I wasn't surprised. I, I figured we would see at least one or, especially with uh, Abdul Adams and Rodney Anderson. I was a little surprised to see that second or with Marcellus Sutton. Um, who knows the ordering on the depth chart? It went it went Adams, Anderson, and Sutton. Who knows if if they're just throwing names out there or if it's just an alphabetical order? I mean, you don't know. Um, so I, I will be interested to see who comes out there for the first play against UTEP. I've I think you and I have predicted it'll it'll be a, a Abdul Adams. I expect that to be the case. Uh, we'll see who you know takes advantage of their opportunities. I, I would guess a lot of them are going to get you know a lot of opportunities to to contribute. And I would say the same probably goes for Trey Sermon. We'll most likely get some carries in that first game also. I agree. And we did see another interesting starter on the offense at the X receiver. We've talked a lot about C.D. Lamb. We mentioned him a lot in our preview earlier in the week about how we both think he's going to be an impact player on offense. C.D. Lamb is listed as a starting X receiver, which means he's going to get a lot of playing time right off the bat. I am all aboard the C.D. Lamb hype train. Choo-choo. I am so pumped to watch this guy play. Seriously. Um the last true freshman starting wide receiver that we have had at OU is Kenny Stills seven years ago. Uh, that turned out pretty well. Um, if C.D. Lamb is anything like Kenny Stills from his freshman year, I think uh, Sooners fans are going to be pretty happy about that. When it comes to him starting at wide receiver, and before I get into that, I just, I'll mention that as the Z receiver, another outside guy, Jeff Mead, the senior, he's, he's listed as a starter, followed by Jeff Bidette and then Marquise Brown. And then there's Michael Jones or Miles Tease as the other receiver playing in the slot. So back to CeeDee Lamb, though, I'm all in as well. I think he's going to be a great player. You'd hope that he is a stud and he's showing out very well in fall camp as opposed to the rest of the guys in that wide receiver core just kind of being meh. That, that's the hope. The hope is that He's really good, and he's actually outplaying all these other players who've been with the program a little bit longer. That's the best-case scenario, obviously. Exactly. You can, you can choose to look at it any way that you want. Um, I'm, as of right now, before, before we've seen anything, I will, choose to be, uh, I will choose to think positively about it just because I've seen this guy's tape. He is a, he's, he's, he's a very impressive athlete. Um, I, I just really think that he's too good not to put on the field um, at this moment. That talking about C.D. Lamb at this point. Um, same with everything else. Uh, there was a lot of fanfare with Jeff Bidette coming in. Um, kind of surprising to see that he's not listed as a starter. Um, but, you know, in Lincoln Riley's offense, it doesn't matter. So many guys are going to – they rotate the receivers in and out. Jeff Bidette's going to get plenty of opportunities. He's going to get plenty of targets. Um, I still stick with him as, uh, as my prediction of, the, of him being the leading receiver. Um, you, may, may, bottom line is you can't overreact just to one depth chart, especially one that Lincoln Riley didn't even want to release. So I, there, you, could, you could parse a lot of stuff here, but I, I don't necessarily think it's really significant right now. Moving on to the offensive line, Ben Powers, the left guard, Cody Ford's the immediate backup, both guard spots. I guess not that surprising, but we all know that the offensive line has so much depth. So Cody Ford's going to get a lot of playing time. Uh, anyways yeah I, I don't 
I'm not too concerned about that at all. We 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 know how how big and talented Cody Ford is. Um, I think a couple weeks ago I had predicted that maybe Cody Ford um, took Drew Samia's starting spot. That clearly is not the case according to the depth chart. That's totally okay. Drew Samia has been a really good player for the Sooners the last two seasons. Um, Cody Ford's going to play a lot. He's going to play a lot. Um, so that they, they, they have so many they have so many quality bodies on the offensive line. I, I expect to see, especially in this first game, I expect to see a pretty heavy rotation getting guys in there. Any other notes on the offense that you'd like to bring up, or are you ready to move on to the defense? Well, uh, Michael Jones was listed as the as the starter, the slot receiver. Miles um, Tease, a walk on uh, sophomore, I believe, was listed behind him. He's a guy that I hadn't heard of until about three weeks ago. Um, I, if, if you were, if, if you do want to talk about maybe being concerned in that aspect, I, I am, there's guys that they've put on scholarship that miles tease has jumped on the depth chart. Uh, that means something. So I, well, we'll see, you know, miles tease might came up, come out and he might be a stud. You never know. Nick Baskin was a walk on last year. He, he proved himself to be a really solid contributor for the team. Maybe miles tease is the same. Uh, we'll see. It, it is a little concerning to me that Michael Jones hasn't separated himself, um, in that slot. Uh, well, I, I heard. Well, it, it's worth noting that it's Michael Jones or Miles Tease. So he doesn't even have the, the cemented starting spot there, according to the depth chart. And we'll see. We, we saw Michael Jones flashed, you know, flashing potential last year. Um, we, we thought maybe he was, uh, once Baskin got hurt, he was going to lock down that, that slot role. That doesn't necessarily be the case so far. Hopefully that's something he can do in game time. Over to the defense, we see Oboe listed at the jack position. And when I see depth charts listed like this, where it's not your general DN, D tackle, linebackers, you know, Sam, Will, Mike, and then cornerback, and then safety, it's annoying to me. It really is. I, I don't like how there's these, these super uh, official, in the weeds football terms because I love football. But honestly, I had to look into this to what I've never heard of the term jack before. So, anyways, it's a 3 4 term, which I'm not happy about because. This defense is supposed to be switching over to a 4-3, but it's almost like acknowledging that, hey, yeah, Oboe is basically a 3-4 defensive end because he's almost like an undersized linebacker. I'm hoping that this is just a formality just for the depth chart and that's we're not going to see a bunch of 3-4 all of a sudden in this Mike Stoops defense after we've been told that they've switched to 4-3. I'm sure it is, uh, and that's just what they're listing Oboe as because I guess also the jack position is, is a position where the person is able to make a lot of plays. So that's probably why he's listed as, as, as the Jack. Um, and then, of course, you see Kenneth Murray officially, the middle linebacker, is a true freshman. He'll be the first true freshman to start if he starts against UTEP, I believe, since 1975 at OU at middle linebacker, which is pretty impressive. 42 years. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, and then no surprise in the secondary, really, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, is worth noting, uh, behind Jordan Thomas, true freshman Trey Norwood, is listed behind Jordan Thomas, a name that I really haven't heard of at all throughout fall camp until that depth chart came out. So it makes you wonder: is is this Trey Norwood guy? Is he pretty good? He's he's five foot eleven, only one sixty eight. So maybe he's put on some on some weight, some muscle since he came onto campus. Just a three star guy to Arkansas, but he's listed ahead of Trey Brown, who's a four star player from Tulsa Union, who whoever a lot of people around here in Oklahoma had a lot of high hopes for. Um, but the fact that Trey Brown's on that initial depth chart is good for him as well. I'm sure he'll get some playing time. But uh, the fact that Trey Norwood was on the depth chart was kind of surprising to me because I really hadn't heard much about him. 
yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, he was he was a late addition to Sooner Squad 17 in the recruiting process. Um, if I'm being honest with you, I thought he was uh, he was going to just be a filler, uh, a guy that they just offered a scholarship just to fill their spots. Uh, it, it's good to see that he's doing well. Um, he he's a small guy. He kind of reminds me of I, I watched some of his tape. He sort of reminds me of a Zach Sanchez type, uh, which isn't which isn't a bad thing. Um, the notes during camp has been that he's very he's a very cerebral guy that he he gets the defense and that he's just he's just a really raw athlete. Um, so hopefully this is uh, a situation where you know he can come in and maybe be a ball hawk just like Zach Sanchez was. Uh, having that been said, I don't necessarily find vision him getting a ton of playing time. I would I would assume that Jordan Parker is probably going to be the primary backup for both of those corner positions. At least that's what I would assume. Are you ready to talk UTEP? Were you talking about the Saturday game? I've been I've been ready to talk UTEP for nine months, Lou. <laughs> I've got some questions that need answering. We're going to start with you answering these questions, Grant. The most important one at first. In his first game as a head coach, does Lincoln Riley, is he going to go visor? Going to go something else uh, on wow, his head? Is, or, is he going to change just, it up? asking just the hard-hitting questions here on West of Everest. Um, I think you know, I – He's going to go with the visor. I think that was that was always his look when he was on the sidelines. So I, I would guess he probably goes with something very similar. You know what? I'll actually throw it out there. I think he's going to go white polo with a white visor. Okay. <laughs> Write it down. Write it down. Okay, yeah, we, we don't even know that. Put it in ink. Put it in ink. Just saying. I don't, I don't think we need to go that into detail. I'm going to go with visor as well because that seems the most common. I did some some deep research on this one. It looked like he wore a hat. At Bedlam last year, remember it was a little rainy, a little cold. It was yeah. Like but it's gonna be hat, nice like on Saturday. Hat. Yeah, yeah. Like but a, I I think visor too. Like cover like covers your hair hat. It, not like it, a yeah. Visor. Like okay. yeah, exactly. That's what a hat uh, is is defined as. Um, all right, to the real <laughs> stuff. Uh, on Monday, Lincoln Riley got tons of questions on UTEP. He talked for almost forty minutes, uh, which is kind of insane considering that UTEP is a team that a lot of people don't think Oklahoma's going to have much trouble with, but a lot of the questions were about his roster and about his first game, et cetera, et cetera. He mentioned that the full playbook is going to be available against UTEP, you know, and he's not looking ahead to Ohio State. Of course he's not. Uh, But based on that full playbook available, do you believe him? No. I think there's a qualifier in there. Like, of of course the full playbook is available. Does that mean that he's going to use the full playbook? I Absolutely not. I really don't think so. Hopefully they don't have to. Um, but this is, and you know what, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure. You always hear the cliche in opening games, especially when you go up against a seemingly uh, overmatched op- opponent. Are you just going to be vanilla on offense and just try to run it down their throat? How often does that really actually happen? You know, I, who knows? Or do most coaches go in just trying to run their offense? Um, it, do I think we're going to see a bunch of trick plays, uh, a lot of wrinkles? I doubt it. Um, I, I would hope that he would he would save those for for next week or until Big Twelve play, but I, I, I think in football terms we'll probably see a pretty vanilla playbook, and that's okay when you have Baker Mayfield and you have an offensive line like uh, like the Sooners do. Yeah, I think I think very similar to what you're saying. I think the full playbook is available, but as you mentioned, as a qualifier, Lincoln Riley doesn't expect to have to use much of it. Uh, he's not going to need the full playbook. I think that's kind of what he's kind of hinting at. Um, obviously, it's going to be one of those games where he just wants to see the guys do the basics. He wants to see the guy, the offensive line block well. He wants to see Baker Mayfield throw crisp passes, the running backs find holes, et cetera, et cetera. One fun thing, I think, from the press conference on Monday, he was asked about scripting plays before the game, and he 
said, no, I, I don't script plays. We, we just kind of wing it. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I know you guys don't believe me, but yeah, that's what we do. So I thought that was kind of interesting because you hear a lot about offensive coordinators scripting out the first 10, 15, 20 plays. And I kind of like the fact that Lincoln Riley doesn't go in thinking, okay, we have to run these first 10 plays. Or we have to run these first 15 plays. He that It kind of gives the idea that it's adjust adjustments will happen immediately if he sees fit. So I think that's kind of neat. I like that. I I've always thought the the whole idea of scripting plays was a little weird. Maybe something that's done for offensive coordinators who aren't really that creative and just have to script them out. Yeah, like you know what, what 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 happens if they throw out a defense that you know perfectly counters what your scripted play is? Are you going to change it on the fly or or not? I know that that was one of the big deals in that that Sugar Bowl from four seasons ago against Alabama is that Josh Heupel scripted out a lot of those opening plays and ended up working well, obviously, but. What happens if they don't work well? Do you just do you ditch the script or what? So I, I, I've never put a lot of stock in, in scripting plays. I, I like to hear that much more. He's just going to go out and wing it, see what the defense gives him, and hopefully just take it. All right, Grant, let's look more into UTEP. We're not going to go super in-depth because people listening to this podcast aren't listening to hear us talk for 10 minutes about UTEP, I'm sure. But just generally... And I'll start with this. We're going to talk about how UTEP could present problems to Oklahoma's offense and defense. So we'll start with UTEP's defense against OU's offense. And so I was looking into the defense of UTEP, and really, it's going to be a little bit better than you might think based on the statistics from last year. They're moving from a 4-2-5 to a 3-4. They're going to have a good secondary, and Oklahoma's wide receiver core is a bit inexperienced, so you got it's worth taking that into account they have a senior named Devin Cockrell he's their best defensive back he's a safety so you'll hear his name called a lot on Saturday potentially hopefully not for Oklahoma fans but last year UTEP only allowed 209 passing yards per game which ranked 41st nationally I mean that's not terrible but you have to do consider that they play in conference USA so they're not going to face these big big five offenses Um, the linebacking core all back, three starting seniors. So that's worth worth thinking about. So it seems like from linebacker to secondary, they're actually pretty strong. But there is some huge question marks on their defensive line. Basically, they're all unproven. Um, but reading up on them a little bit, they have some big guys in there. Uh, 6'3", 6'4", 290, 300. I mean, that's some big guys at UTEP. But... They are inexperienced, and it's not just one guy. I mean, I, it's like three different guys that are that are that big, and there's even a guy that's like six seven, like two sixty. So they have some size on the defensive line, but this is a unit that only had four and a half sacks last year. So not they don't get to the quarterback at all much. Uh, and I think for Oklahoma, the fact that the defensive line is so inexperienced will be a huge key up against that experienced Oklahoma offensive line. You got to expect that OU's offensive line will control that defensive line of UTEP. So if if there's any problems that UTEP's defense will present, it's going to be at the second and third levels. But if Oklahoma is able to run the football really well against this inexperienced defensive line, that should neutralize the secondary more so and open up wide receivers running open, Mark Andrews, Grant Calcaterra, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's how UTEP's defense could pre- present uh, problems for Oklahoma's offense. Now, Grant, how could UTEP's offense present problems to Oklahoma's defense? Lee, I do want to backtrack real quick. Uh, you did mention that they were 40, uh, 41st in the country in past defense last year. Um, 
I, I think you do need to go a little more in depth there. Um, according to, I, I like the uh, the defensive S and P uh, advanced statistics. They were 114th in the country last year in rushing defense S and P. Um, so you could definitely make the argument that they only gave up, you know, a little over 200 yards a game through the air just because everybody just ran wild on them. Um, and, and I did watch their game against Texas last year, and, and Texas just ran through them like butter. Um, I and I honestly just don't expect anything to get better, especially with them uh, going to the three four. We talked about it a little bit last year, and uh, unless you have the the you know the perfect personnel for that uh, style of defense, it's just really difficult to stop the run. And I, I think this is one of those games where the Sooners are, are going to be able to run wild. Uh, but shifting back to the offense, uh, this is a team that was not strong offensively uh, last year. Um, I was only able to watch one game. And that was that Texas game last year. They don't really do anything uh, really complicated on offense. Um, they're in the sh- they're in the shotgun a majority of the time. It looks more of like a pro style shotgun offense. They run the ball um, out of that offense. Um, they they lost their uh, their starting running back from last year. He is in Packers camp now. He was drafted by the Packers. Uh, you know, there it, it's going to be a 65-35 probably run to pass split. Who knows? If you know if that'll change depending on what the score of the game is, uh, this is this is a classic one-dimensional offense where I really think the Sooners are going to be able to load the box um, and just dare their their junior quarterback Ryan Metz to beat them over the top. Uh, Metz had some decent numbers last year. He started the last seven games of the season. Um, in those games, he was three and four as the starter. Uh, in seven in those seven games, only threw for 1,062 yards. So he's not a guy who's going to throw for a lot of yards. Did have a good touchdown interception ratio through 13 touchdowns and only three picks. Um, but it, he did, I, he just doesn't really pre- present much of a downfield threat. They have to they have to replace three of their top four receiving targets. Um, I, I like to mention the the numbers in S and P for offense. They were 104th out of 126 teams in, in total total offense S and P. They were 54th rushing, 115th passing the ball. Um, I, I do want to mention their their offensive line does return all five starters. They do have an All American um, on the interior and Will Hernandez. He's a guy who is going to be a high draft pick. Uh, he's a nasty guy. I, I, uh, he did look good against Texas. He was one of the guys in that game who was who was kind of manhandling the Texas defensive line the entire time. Um, so that will present a challenge for uh, for the surprisingly experienced Sooners defensive line. Um, I, I think this is a perfect opportunity for OU's defense to go against a veteran unit, but also a unit that's not really going to present a lot of downfield challenges. I don't really think you need to be worried about them having explosive plays at all. I think simply UTEP, their game plan is going to be, even though they're all-time leading rusher Aaron Jones is gone from last year they're going to try to establish that run behind that experienced offensive line because that's all they have really is that offensive line and they're going to try to just plug in some running backs that are inexperienced and hope that they can find holes against that Oklahoma defense and if that doesn't work out like you said it's tough to imagine them having a whole lot of big plays because of Metz's uh receiver core I mean they have a lot of question marks in the receiver core and he's he's a guy that really wasn't known for making electrifying plays and he's going to probably be asked to do a lot more this year let's be honest uh but will he be able to do a lot more against Oklahoma's defense that's the question mark going in this game so I think we both agree that OU's not in any real danger of losing tomorrow so with that being said which outcome of these two outcomes would worry you more okay if Oklahoma goes in beats UTEP 24 to 3 
or Oklahoma goes in and beats UTEP 63 to 28? Mm, I, pr- probably the 24 to 3 option would worry me the most. Um, that would mean that their defense played well and gave the offense a lot of opportunities, but were only able to score four separate times. And of course, if you go to the other one, it's, uh, you know, it would seem like the offense played well and the defense gave up four touchdowns to a kind of a listless UTEP offense. Um, I, I, I would prefer to see uh, the offense perform well as of right now, just because of, you know, you have Baker Mayfield. Uh, there's a lot of question marks with the receivers core. You would think if they score 63 points, that means the receivers had a good game. Um, having that been said, you know, I would, I would like to see just a straight up, you know, like 63 to nothing game, which, you know, it's probably not going to happen, but, um, I, I really do hope that the offense can play a good game and really the defense has absolutely no excuse, you know, not to shut UTEP down. See, I'm actually, I'd be more concerned with 63, 28 because, for the simple reason that the defense obviously is allowed 28 points to UTEP, who should not be scoring 28 points. And I know that 24 points by the Oklahoma offense would be kind of scary. That would be, oh, what happened? That's, I mean, that happened a couple of years ago whenever they played UTEP, uh, where they didn't score a lot of points with Landry Jones playing quarterback. I, I can't remember the year. I think yeah. it might have been 2012. That was 2012. Uh, but, they, but they were on the road at that point, but still it shouldn't matter. Obviously, that would be a huge problem if they only scored 24, the Sooners against UTEP. But I would hope that if that happens, it's maybe because they were so darn vanilla and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. But at least the defense came and played well and shut down a team like UTEP, who they should shut down. But I guess now that I look at this question more than I asked you, both of these scenarios would be kind of worrisome. <laughs> if, they, they would uh, both if those are the yes. Yeah, they would. Be. All right. So this is. This next question is for you and I specifically and also for the listeners because we think what what we want to see happen tomorrow should be kind of what you're looking for. So, Grant, what do you want to see happen on Saturday against UTEP, i.e. kind of what are you looking for specifically? Three things uh, I'm mostly going to be looking for. One, I want to see chunk yardage on the ground early. Um, So that means 10, 15-yard runs up the middle, big holes. I want to see that offensive line establishing themselves. Um, Also, with the running game, I would like to see them uh, pick up short yardage situations easily. It seems like um, in the past, even uh, even since Bill Biedenbaugh has been there, they've struggled in short yard situations. That changed for a few years when they had Samaj P. Ryan. He's gone. Uh, You would like to see such an experienced offensive line be able to just kind of lean on the defensive line and, and pick up those easy yardage. Uh, in, in short yard situations. Um, I also want to see uh, receivers running open. It seems like in the past, uh, when they've been breaking in new receivers, it's it, they, they've had some trouble establishing chemistry and, and getting open early in the season. Um, uh, going up against a team like UTEP, and I know it's a, an experienced secondary, I, I, I still would like to see the receivers running open, um, especially that freshman C.D. Lamb. I'd like to see him get into the open field. Um, as far as defense, I, I just want to see a lot of tackles in the backfield, and I don't want to see any big plays over the top in the passing game. I'll add just a couple points to your offense. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I will add I, I want to see Baker Mayfield not get touched at all. That'd be great to see him get, get away clean. Uh, and just generically, generally, just no dumb, stupid mistakes, uh, bad picks, a weird fumble, just none of that crap. Uh, I, I mean, it's a team – that it's the first game, so you might see some of that stuff. We saw some of that stuff last night in Oklahoma State where they made some some questionable calls. We'll talk about that game in a little bit. But I just don't want to see any any stupid mistakes that put the defense in a bad spot. 
uh, offensively and, and on the same side, defensively, bad defensive mistake that puts the offense in a bad spot to where, God help us, they're trying to chase points, which is hard to imagine. Uh, and then as far as defensive goes, yeah, I, I want to see him dominate. Uh, UTEP doesn't have any identity on offense, really. I mean, they want to run the football, but they lost their best back they've ever had. So it's, it should be a game where the Oklahoma's defense is able to have their way. So what will happen tomorrow? What do you actually think will happen? We heard what you want to have happen, but what do you think will happen? And I want you to give me a score prediction. Um, I, I think they're, they're going to blow them out. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be as clean as everyone wants it to be. I'm sure there will be some mistakes. There, there probably will be you know, a, a, a big bust over the top. It seems like every single you know, opening game is, is good for at least one of those. Um, if that doesn't happen, great, but I'm, I'm just going to go by precedent and, and assume that they'll probably you know, get one busted coverage and score a long touchdown on it. Um, I, I'm not going to give a score prediction. I, I would like to see... I'd like to see the Sooners score over 50 points. I, I think they, they can if, you know, if, if they just come out and play a competent game, they should be able to score over 50 just leaning on the offensive line. And I, I, I would really, I'd really like to see the defense you know, give up less than 10 points. And will that happen? Probably not, but you know, we'll see. Well, as far as I'm concerned, um, I think that Oklahoma will control this game uh that's not a hot take obviously um i'm gonna be looking uh, watching the defensive backs the secondaries a lot uh, the secondary for ou a lot because i'm really interested to see how they look against a team like utep because if they are able to to hold down the receivers play their zones well know what they're doing play man well prevent receivers from getting open and prevent those big over the top big plays like you said you, it feels like we see we see those you know in the opener a lot I'll be really excited about that. Uh, as far as the score, I'm gonna have, I have a score for you. I actually thought about this. I think Oklahoma's going to win handily. I'm saying 59 to 14. I think they're going to cover the spread, but based on what we know, I'm, I'm high on this Oklahoma defense, but until I see them in action against a real team, I'm going to say, yeah, they're going give to give up a couple touchdowns. Maybe, maybe one of them or both of them will be in garbage time. Who knows? But until I see this team come out and show that they've improved from last year yeah I, I will say they'll, they'll allow a couple touchdowns maybe even a field goal to utah but i will say that oklahoma will score a lot of points and cover this spread so that's ou utah thoughts now you're going to be the most informed person all throughout your friends nobody else knows about utah except for you because you listen to west of everest and you're going to be super dialed in to the game tomorrow ou's home opener season opener lincoln riley's first game uh, we'd be remiss to not talk about games from last night. Oklahoma State, the 10th ranked team in the country, looked very good against Tulsa. And Ohio State mm, had some tough times against Indiana before running away. So first off, Grant, I know you weren't able to watch much of these games, but you did see the highlights of, of Ohio State. So real quick, we'll, we'll – dive way more into Ohio State next week obviously but what are your just quick thoughts on Ohio State Indiana I, I only saw a little bit of that game Lee like you said I was I was down on campus at the University of Minnesota uh, for the Gophers game against the University of Buffalo which was just a, a a terribly ugly game won't go into much of that but Ohio State Indiana um, Ohio State uh, was down by one at halftime um, and then they just kind of came out in the second half ho-hum and scored 29 unanswered, uh, unanswered points uh, ended up winning the game by four touchdowns. I thought we saw a, a lot of 
kind of what we expected from Ohio State. JT Barrett struggled to get the ball downfield. They have a good offensive line. They have a dynamic, true freshman running back, uh, J.K. Dobbins. A um, lot of lot of speed on offense, um, but I, I still think it, the Sooners are going to be able to load the box against them and dare J.T. Barrett to beat them. I think that's going to be their best bet um, to hang with Ohio State. And I think uh, going up against a, a very competent Indiana defense, uh, Indiana might have given a, you know a bit of a, a, a bit of a blueprint on how to defend them. I. One thing that really stood out to me, and again, I just watched the highlights, so not real too far in depth, but it looked like obviously those wide receivers at Ohio State, fast, man. I mean, some huge plays. They're really fast. Yeah. Real fast. And so the big takeaway from that for Oklahoma when they face them next week is don't give up big plays. Make JT Barrett beat you, as you mentioned, because I've been saying this forever. I know you kind of have too. I mean, the guy's not very good. JT Barrett, frankly, sucks. He's he, he's an he, he's an okay uh, college quarterback. He's elevated by a lot of the talent that he has around him. Um, he he did throw for three hundred and six yards last night, but he didn't complete a pass that was longer than eleven yards last night. Um, and that's I think that's My a huge that's a huge referendum on JT Barrett. Um, one thing I well, did I mean, notice while I was like, watching. You mean as far as like catches and then because i mean he had some long yeah, touchdown he, passes that were yeah, run after it, the catch yes they were run after the catch stuff but no he did not complete a single pass through the air that was longer uh than 11 yards everything was just underneath and short routes um and, and you know i i do want to put a qualifier in there just make jt barrett beat you with his arm because i i think he could beat you with his legs if you let him um and, you know, we'll see what happens. I think uh, the Ohio State receivers also struggled to gain separation from, from Indiana's defensive backs. Hopefully that's just a sign of things to come. We'll never know. Ohio State has a lot of team speed on offense. They are going to be an absolute load next weekend in Columbus. Don't don't look too much into them being down at halftime. Ohio State um, is is still a monster. They're still the number two team in the country, and they still should be. And real quick before we talk about other games happening tonight and this weekend. Just real quick, I know Oklahoma State. I know people listening to this podcast probably aren't super into the Cowboys, but it's worth mentioning because Oklahoma State has been picked to finish behind OU in the Big 12, and they're a top-10 team, and frankly, I think they're going to be very good this season. Uh, I still believe that after watching the game last night. Uh, I watched the entire first half, took some notes. I have way too many notes on this game, so we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'll just kind of condense it down to my thoughts uh, because at halftime, Oklahoma State was up, I believe, th- uh, 38 to 14 or something like that. It was They were in control of the game. So I kind of turned it off after that. But uh, big takeaways, the Oklahoma State defense looked good. Uh, they only had one bad drive, and they allowed a touchdown. Outside of that, uh, Tulsa didn't really move the ball a whole lot. Uh, they were on the field for 16 minutes in the first half, only gained 157 yards. So... Solid against a, a Tulsa team who had a lot of a lot of firepower last year. They were had a they were uh, throwing brand new quarterbacks in. Chad President, Luke Skipper last night. That certainly helped Oklahoma State. Uh, but I thought the defense looked good overall in the first half. Uh, they allowed 17 points, but 10 of those points were kind of the offense's fault, if you will. Um, there was a bad fumble on a punt that Tulsa recovered in the end zone, and then a. a Mason Rudolph made a kind of a boneheaded play trying to make a big play, ended up throwing an interception where Tulsa was able to return it down deep into the red zone, and they got a field goal right before the half. So the the OSU defense looked good. As far as the Oklahoma State offense, it started off fantastic. They scored three straight touchdowns, their first three possessions. Uh, Justice Hill 
looked very good. Very, very good. Uh, hard to say much on J.D. King, true freshman. He had a long touchdown run, but it was so well blocked and wide open, really. A lot of, a lot of college players probably could have done that. So I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on J.D. King. Uh, he seems like uh, he's very highly touted, and I know Oklahoma State thinks that he's going to be uh, the guy after Justice Hill. Uh, as far as Mason Rudolph, though, goes, uh, he had really good numbers, fantastic numbers. I think he was 20-24, 300-plus yards, three touchdowns. Honestly, though, I wasn't all impressed with his precision against Tulsa, who was playing a pretty base defense all night long, a lot of cover two, didn't really give him a lot of uh, different looks. They didn't really hide it. So it was a defense where he should have been able to easily pick apart, which I guess statistically he did. I don't want to uh, make it seem like he didn't play a good game because he, he, he did play a good game. It just I thought he could have been more precise with some of his throws. It looked like he was trying to allow some of his guys to make plays where really – good defensive backs would have probably made him pay for those throws. Uh, just, just frankly, uh, James Washington, he's a stud, uh, fantastic player. Clearly uh, they're going to try to get him. And then the LSU transfer Tyron Johnson into space a lot and just let those guys make plays. That's kind of what I took away from Oklahoma state. Did you, were you able to watch any highlights or see any of that? I, I saw some highlights. Um, I, I think it's an opener that probably couldn't have gone any better for Oklahoma state. Um, they were exactly as advertised. They had a lot of explosive touchdowns, um, about 640 yards of offense. It, it did look like their defense played fairly well, especially going against a Tulsa team that you know, does have a good offensive system. And I know they were replacing a lot of guys, but they did have a veteran offensive line that they were leaning on last night. And Oklahoma State uh, took control of that game right from the beginning. I think they went up 21 to nothing right away. And um, yeah, I, they're as advertised. I don't think you can parse too much uh, from the game just because I think you know Tulsa... Uh, they're they're not really known as a defensive powerhouse and and osu did exactly what they were supposed to do against that tulsa defense all right a full slate of college football let's just quickly look at the big 12 i'll mention some games if you have some quick thoughts on these games go for it if not we'll just move on uh probably the the well the couple big 12 games we'll definitely be looking at texas tom herman era beginning uh, against maryland at home uh, i believe texas is like a, a 17 point favorite something like that and I don't have really a whole lot to say on that. Uh, I'll be watching it, but uh, any any point that you'd like to make on Texas, Maryland? I'm just curious. Uh, I'm curious what Texas is going to look like. Maryland is is not a sieve. Uh, DJ Durkin, their head coach, I, I think is a guy who's really impressive. He's he's already turned that program around, at least the, the mentality of it. Um, they have some good players on defense uh, that they return. So I'm just I'm really curious to see how Texas goes against a, a veteran Maryland team. Not a great Maryland team, but a decent team. Um, just, just really interested to see what happens. That's all. It will, I'll, I'll have more thoughts on it a- after they actually play the game. Kansas State hosts Central Arkansas. Nothing really to see there. Uh, K-State, number 20 in the country. Uh, Northern Iowa at Iowa State. Iowa State's kind of your your uh, sleeper team in the Big 12 this year, Grant. So you'll get a first chance to see uh, Iowa State against you and I. You and I is always a, a really good FCS club, it seems like. Yeah, I think we'll see if my uh, if my prediction is is going to come to fruition in the first game it seems like Iowa State the last few years has really struggled with that that UNI game to open the season i think they la- they they lost last year to them um so if Iowa State's going to take that next step you would think they need to come out and beat UNI by three or four scores but i you know i guess we'll see what happens UNI's a really good FCS program and then on sunday uh the biggest big 12 game i i guess of the week because it includes two top 25 teams West Virginia 22 Versus Virginia Tech, 21. That's going to be played at FedEx Field. Vatek's a, f- a four-point favorite, uh, but at this point, we don't know a whole lot about those teams, so it's almost like a toss-up as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I like West Virginia. 
Uh, I think they're going to be a good football team this year. So, I mean, this is not surprising, but I wouldn't be shocked if they were able to go and beat Vodtech, basically in kind of more of a home game for them. This eh, is maybe not, maybe is, not necessarily a home game. Yeah, this game is pretty is pretty similar to me for that uh, that Texas game. I'm just kind of curious to see what's going to happen. I could I could see West Virginia, you know, going one of two ways this year. I could see them being very similar to last year, where they're just kind of a scrappy good team on defense that does, uh, you know, does what they need to do on offense. Or I, I could see them taking a step back too. But uh, I don't think Dana Holgerson gets really enough credit. He's he's built a program there, at West Virginia, that has quite a bit of staying power now I think in the Big 12 I, I don't really think you're ever going to see West Virginia take a huge step back in the Big 12 it'll be interesting to see how they how they stack up against the Virginia Tech team uh, Justin Fuente is in his is in his second year of, of the head coach there they had a good season last year there in the ACC championship game and they pushed Clemson uh, in that game I they, they did lose their quarterback so they're I believe they're starting a, a, a redshirt freshman quarterback we'll see how that goes whereas West Virginia starting Will Greer um yeah, really interesting to see how that one plays out. I'm honestly not exactly sure. I can't really get a feel on it one way or the other. All right, just a few minutes left. We're going to make picks. We have five games to go over uh, from the, throughout the national stage. So we'll start with Colorado State versus Colorado. That game is tonight, Friday, September the 1st. Kind of a, a rivalry game they're playing at. at uh, did they call it Mile High Mile High Stadium anymore? Probably not. That's I don't not, think it is. I think it's like it's one of those where it's, it's where like, the Broncos play. Yeah, it says like the sponsor's <laughs> name. It's like the sponsor's name at Mile High Stadium. Sports Authority Field. That's, that's, that that's definitely what it is. Nailed it. All right. So real quick, we're just gonna pick these straight up, not against the spread. I'm gonna take the Rams, Colorado State, simply because I think Colorado's head coach Mike McIntyre is not very good. I don't like him. Uh, I'm also going to take Colorado State. I, I I look for Colorado to actually take a quite a step back this year. Um, they they had a decent season last year um, in a really really down year for the Pac-12. I I don't really see that that's the case this year. I I think they're going to be out talented by Colorado State. They looked pretty good against Oregon State uh, last week. Two thirty on Saturday, Michigan, the 11th team in the country, 11th ranked against Florida at Jerry's World. It seems like Florida has their entire team out of this game. Everyone's suspended. Uh, based on that, I'll take Michigan, and mainly because I think Jim Harbaugh is a, b- a better coach than Jim McElwain, but this is going to be a really ugly football game. Yeah, it, I don't think it's going to be too aesthetically pleasing. Um, I'm, I'm going to take Michigan. I'm going to take Michigan by a couple scores, actually. I think they're going to control this game fairly easily, and I would have said the same thing uh, before Florida had all the suspensions also. I think Michigan's going to roll in this game. The last Saturday game we're going to talk about, the big one, third-ranked Florida State, number one Alabama in Atlanta. I'll take Alabama just because it's Alabama, and these first games of the year, they usually come out and they roll. I'm going to take Alabama by multiple scores, two or three touchdowns. I think they're going to potentially blow them out. Sunday, this is kind of a fun one. They're playing Sunday, which is kind of bizarre. Texas A&M at UCLA, and off the bat, Always fun to watch Josh Rosen play. I got a chance to watch him last year when UCLA came to College Station. Guy was impressive. A&M's defense played him decently well, though. Texas A&M, man, it's Kevin Sumlin is on the hot seat, which is ironic because this is probably the least amount of talent he's had on a team in a number of years, and it's really a year where he needs to win a lot more to potentially save his job. Having said that, I think A&M's going to go on the road. I think they're going to beat UCLA because A&M always starts the season the same way, hot. It's been the same way the past three years. They always start at least 5-0. and I think they're going to start this season 1-0. Uh, if this is going to be our, the first that we disagree on, I'm going to take UCLA in this game. 
Um, they return a lot of guys from last year, and I know it was a disappointing team from last season. Um, but they are not—they uh, are not absent talent. UCLA has recruited really well um, under Jim Mora. I—I I just expect UCLA to win this game at home. Josh Rosen is their starting quarterback. Um, I think he's going to have a bounce back year, um, and and I really think Texas A&M is going to take a big step back this year. I think Kevin Sumlin is going to get fired at the end of the season. And finally, another Sunday matchup. We talked about it a moment ago. West Virginia against Virginia Tech. I'll take the Mountaineers just because I'll be a Big 12 homer, and I like Dana Holgerson. How about you, Grant? I'm going to take Virginia Tech uh, just because I just I just don't know what to expect with West Virginia as of right now. Um, I guess we'll see. I, I feel like this is a coin toss game, um, and I'm just going to be the uh, be the contrarian and go against you and take Virginia Tech. All right, that's our show for today. Enjoy OU UTEP. We'll have plenty of reaction on Monday from that game and also the weekend of college football. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.